We're continuing in our uh, theme of the names of Christmas. We've been looking at that verse in Isaiah 9-6. We've seen Christ as a child born, a son given, the government is upon his shoulder. And we've looked at the names Wonderful and Counselor. Now he's the Mighty God and the Everlasting Father, as we looked at last week. And there's one final name in this passage that we're going to consider, and that is that he's the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. And, you know, really, this is a name that resounds throughout all of Scripture. When you read uh, the account of his birth and and in later on the New Testament, what he came to do, he came to bring peace. But even in the Old Testament, that was you know, how he was described uh, of what he wants to do. And there's, there's several verses in the Old Testament you can look at. One is in Zechariah, and, and this is where uh, Zechariah is prophesying of the coming Messiah. And in Zechariah 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just and having salvation, lowly, riding on a, a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. In verse 10, it says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. But here's the phrase, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And this is ultimately will be fulfilled in the la- at his second coming. But yet at his first coming, he came to speak peace to the nations. I, I love that phrase. You know, he, he came in peace and he came like, like it talks about in verse nine, riding upon the donkey. That was a symbol of a, of a leader coming in peace to a city. If he came riding on a horse, look out, he was coming for war. Well, Jesus came riding a donkey the first time and next time he's coming riding on a horse. So if you're the opponent of, of, of Jesus, look out because he's coming for war. But that phrase, he shall speak peace to the nations, that's really the fruit of the gospel, is to bring peace. Um, and, and when the gospel is embraced, it creates great peace. You know, like that, like it says in Psalm 119 and verse 165, great peace have those who love the law of the Lord. Nothing will offend them or cause them to, to trip up, but they'll continue because they love the law. They'll have great peace. You know, if only the nations would embrace the gospel of Christ, we'd have peace on earth. Fortunately, we don't have that because they're not embracing the gospel of Jesus. And so there is a resulting lack of peace. And so that's why Jesus is coming on the white horse. That's the only way they're going to, you know, be able to receive peace, unfortunately, is through the, the horse of, you know, him coming to conquer Um but in doing so, he's going to establish a reign of righteousness and peace upon the earth. Another prophecy, this time in Micah, I'm going to have a lot of verses because there's a lot that, that talks about with peace that I kept finding really good ones that I had to include. Now, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, But thou Beth- Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me the that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, 
from everlasting, and we've looked at everlasting father. But then verse 5, there's this phrase, and this man shall be the peace. He shall be the peace. He didn't just come to bring peace. He is the peace, meaning that true peace is found in him through a relationship with him. You know, without Christ, there's a separation from heaven, from God, from eternity, from salvation, uh, from peace and fulfillment. But in him is peace, and he breaks down that separation, as Paul said in Ephesians, right? Ephesians 2.14. He is our peace, who has uh, made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us and heaven, between us and the Father, you know, there's a wall without Jesus. There's a wall that cannot be broken down no matter what. Usually we try to do it by being good. I, I can be good enough. Our goodness cannot break through that wall of partition or that veil as it's depicted in the, in the temple. But only Christ separated and rent the veil so that through him we might have peace. But no matter how good we try to be on our own, we can't break through that wall of partition. But, you know, he broke that down. He is our peace so that we could be joined with God for all eternity. And how did that peace come? We have another prophecy that tells us, um, and, and this is Isaiah, a very familiar one, Isaiah 53 and verse 5 of how the peace came, you know, through Christ, very specific way. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes were healed. You know, part of the joy that was set before Christ and why he endured such torment was to give us peace. That was a part of the joy. He, he had an anticipation that if he endured the cross, he could give us peace. That was, he was anticipating that. And that's kind of marvelous to think about. He was on the cross so that I could have peace. And that was a kind of a joy for him. Also the joy of being with his father again and us all being together in heaven. But his joy was that we might have peace. And so he took that punishment that we deserved so that we could have peace as we follow him. And so he's called the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Not just because it rhymes, the Prince of Peace. I don't know if it rhymes in Greek or Hebrew. I, I don't think it does. But, but, you know, the Prince means ruler, captain, the chief. He is the chief of the peace of God, or he's, you know, he's the captain of our salvation. He's also the captain of our peace. He wants to lead us and rule us in peace and in righteousness. And in reality, God wants to give us peace, which can be so powerful when it's operating in our lives. It can be mighty. There's many other things we could talk about Romans, how, you know, the, it's the peace of God that crushes the enemy under our feet. I don't have that in, in the list there, but, but the peace of God is so powerful. 
And we often think about the, the, to illustrate that, the story from the New Testament of the peace of God that can just carry us through whatever we're going through in life, right? Remember that wonderful story of Christ asleep in the boat and he's just perfectly at peace and rest within, not without, without, it's a storm. Enough that those seasoned fishermen on the Sea of Galilee think they're about to die and they think, why doesn't Jesus care? Well, he's at peace within. Without is a storm. And so they not so gently woke Jesus up and said, hey, we're going to die. They, probably, they don't think they said it that calmly. And so Jesus, he woke up calmly. In Mark 4.39, it says, He arose and he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. You see, Jesus had that peace. He, he, he was the chief, the captain of peace. He had it in his heart. That peace was governing him. He was abiding in it. And, and that brought those three simple words, peace be still, brought salvation, brought the answer, brought the victory. And that peace can reign in us. That peace can be our portion. And it can bring that great power as a result. Paul says this in Colossians 3, 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Maybe you could say, let the peace of God be the prince in your heart as well. Be the captain to which you are called in one body and be thankful to. But we are called to let the peace of God reign in our lives, in our hearts. Apostle Paul, he knew what it meant to need the peace of God because God called him to go through many troublous things, many tribulations and difficulties and shipwrecks and, you know, challenges from uh, different authorities. He had a whole list that is overwhelming to read, to think about trying to walk with him. I, I really don't blame Timothy. If, that, if that's what he was going through and Timothy wasn't ready, I don't blame him at all. I probably would have done the same thing if I wasn't ready because ministering with the Apostle Paul was at a different level. You better have the peace of God reigning in your heart and life to be able to endure. But that Greek word for the peace of God ruling is also carries that thought of, of someone having the authority like an umpire in a game. You know, we're the players in, in one sense in, in a game that God has ordained. And the umpire, you know, tells us what plays are according to the rules. And we, we can't make those determinations, only the umpire can. He tells us what plays are disqualified, what plays will cause us to win, and what plays will cause us to lose. We want to avoid those. No one likes losing when we play games. But in that sense, if we are following according to the peace that the umpire gives us and directs us, if we seek peace and pursue it and allow him to lead us according to his peace, and his peace to be in charge and control of our lives and our spirits, we will reign in life and obtain the victory that he obtained as well. Maybe we'll be able to sleep through a storm too. I don't know. We get storms in Florida. There's two more thoughts I wanted to bring out about peace that we find uh, 
regarding Christ. And one is concerning peace in tribulation. Now, Jesus said this in John 16, verse 33. He says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. That's a wonderful thought. If he had just ended the verse there, we'd say, Oh, yes, Lord. Amen. In me you might have peace. But then he went on. In the world, you're going to have tribulation. Well, Lord, why did you have to include that? Because that's, that's the game that we're in. That, that's the, that's the, the pathway we're walking. In Christ, we can have peace. In this world, we will have tribulation, but he doesn't end it there. Praise God. He says, be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. And that gives us a lot of peace. Okay, he's, he's in charge. He's overcome. He's already won. We just have to keep walking in that pathway of the winner. Really, that's, that's what we're doing. If we follow Christ and we're led by his peace and keep him as the umpire, we're walking in that pathway of victory. And we can obtain that as we follow him. And, but here's the, here's the key. Our peace is not based on what's taking place in the world because in the world we're guaranteed trouble, tribulation. In, a, in the world, we'll, we'll experience the storms that will rise up. We'll experience the opposition. Sometimes we'll face really skillful opponents. And we have to cry out to God, oh, lead me. Guide me by your peace. Help me to make the right decision. And so forth. But in all these things, and we can be certain that will only increase in the days to come as regarding tribulation. But in all these things, we can take cheer. We can obtain hope and encouragement because our, be- our peace is based not on what is taking place without, because those are the storms. We can, we can be in the position of the disciples in that boat or we can be in the position of Christ as we're resting in his peace. Our peace can be based upon what is taking place not without, but in the heart of Christ, and we can rest in that. And it can enable us to endure and overcome in the storms of life. There's, I mentioned two things. There's another thing uh, that I wanted to just share, and it's something I hadn't necessarily considered before, and it comes from Jesus' words to his disciples in John 14, 27. He says this, and and this is after, um, you know, or as he's, about to leave them on earth and go to his heavenly father. But he says this, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, gives I to, give I to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so Jesus is giving an impartation of peace. It's something they could not obtain from the world and we can't obtain peace from the world. If we look to the world, it actually just does the opposite. It makes us nervous about how we're going to make it and, you know, are we doing the right thing and so forth. But that peace is something that would keep their hearts. But I was quickened with this thought. Peace was something he left to them. It was a part of his legacy to us. It was the work he accomplished, you know, and we, we read about that. But I was just considering that thought of legacy. His legacy to us 
is the peace of God that rules and can cover us and can be a guard upon our hearts and minds. There's much more we could say about peace. But I was just thinking, what will be our legacy? You know, the answer we want to have from our lives or the legacy we want to leave is one of peace, where our effect upon other people. And how wonderful it is when, when you think of the legacy of someone and how they brought peace, how they encouraged, you know, victory in, in people, encouraged strength and stability, you know, in others. And the fruit of peace is great. And, you know, we need to go to the Lord and, and ask him, Lord, what do I need to do that my legacy will be peace? My impact upon others will be peace, my effect upon them. How can I impart peace to others and to situations, into hearts? And well, the first thing we can know is that we have to have peace. You know, to impart it and to give peace, we have to possess it. But once we possess it, we can impart it to others. Like Jesus in the storm, I mean, he had peace and then he imparted it literally into that storm. He said, peace, be still. And the wind and the waves calmed down. And I think the disciples went, Whew. Now, our, our conduct or our words or our effect, it might not, it might not have an effect upon <laughs> the weather, but it can have an effect upon hearts because they see our countenance. They see how we're walking with God. They see how we respond to trouble and to, you know, what Jesus guarantees to us, you will have tribulation. The question is, how will we respond to that when people see, oh man, they have peace in that. That affects their hearts and their lives. And that can be a legacy. As we learn to rest in God and his word and his promises, we can impart that and that can be a legacy in our lives and in the lives of others. And so he is our Prince of Peace, and we're grateful for that. Now, in the remaining time, I wanted to look at one more name, because there's a name that we often associate with Christmas that is not included in Isaiah chapter 9, but it's something we, we take note of. We sang several choruses this morning that used this name, um, and it's not in chapter, Isaiah 9, but it's mentioned in Isaiah chapter 7. And in Isaiah 7, this is a prophecy given to King Ahaz concerning how the Lord would give them victory over the Syrian armies. And, and he says this in Isaiah 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And of course, this is prophetic of Christ. And it was spoken 700 years before um, Christ came before his birth. You know, we know, and, and the common name we, we use concerning Jesus, it was Jesus, or Joshua as it was in the Hebrew. That was a very common name. It, he wouldn't have stood out, you know, being called Joshua. You know, it, would, it was a very common name. But yet, really, the name that was proclaimed 700 years before his birth was Emmanuel. And we know the meaning because the angels or the angel of the Lord proclaimed it to Mary. 
In Matthew 1, 23, it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, being interpreted God with us. And so the interpretation of Emmanuel is God with us. And through this name, God wanted to communicate something with us. He wanted to tell us something, that he is not just a great power in the universe, but he sent his son and he named him Emmanuel because he is a God who is with us, who wants to be with us. That's his desire. In fact, I mean, he originally created man to be with them constantly, day after day, to, to walk with Adam in the garden in those time, pleasant times of the day, the cool times to have fellowship. And even when that fellowship was broken, God still wanted to be with his people. He was with them through the desert, and then he gave them a land to inhabit, and he dwelt among them in Jerusalem in the temple with his presence there. But then Jesus, when he appeared, he told that woman in John 4, he said, you know, you don't need to be in any specific place. There's a time coming when you worship God in spirit and in truth, and he's with you wherever you are. Sometimes we like to break Christianity down into certain practical definitions. We accept Christ, we go to church, we read our Bible. That's all essential. Those are the practical outworkings of Christianity. But in reality, it all comes down to a name. It's Emmanuel, God with us. That's what matters in the Christian life, that we know Emmanuel. Because that means God is with us. He's walking with us. He's talking to us. We're, we're hearing his voice. We're feeding upon his words. We're receiving life through his spirit. We're experiencing his life. And when God is with us, we will be with him for all eternity. Sometimes this can be hard to comprehend how God would want to be with us the one who inhabits eternity, when we are so weak and frail. And David contemplated this. He said this in Psalm 8 and verse 3. He said, When I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars that you've ordained, I consider, you know, he was considering the universe. He didn't fully understand it like we do. Like the, I think he had an idea. We know a little more specifics because of science and so forth. And this massive universe with billions upon billions of stars and all of that. And then he asked that question, but Lord, what is man that you are thinking of him, that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? Who are we that the Lord would want to have fellowship with us? I can't fully answer that question. Other than to say that the father and Jesus Father and Son paid such a great price for that to take place. So we know that they want that. They desire that. Jesus was even willing to, to be separated from his Father upon the cross so that we would not have to be separated from him for all eternity because of our sin. Not only that, but that he would be with us as Emmanuel. And now... 
you know, as with his peace, there's much we could say about Emmanuel, God being with us. You could have a whole series on that. But I think it's summarized well in one of the appearances Christ made. You know, when he, after his resurrection, um, there were two disciples in Luke 24. There's two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. And he appears to them, and they're pretty sad and astonished at everything that just took place, and they're walking kind of the wrong way. They're, they're leaving Jerusalem when he's about to appear to the disciples. Um, but he appeared to them, and, and it says in Luke 24, 27, it says, and, and the beginning, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I would have loved to be in on that conversation and to hear him show from all of the scriptures, starting with Moses and say, I was here. This one talks about me. This one talks, you know, I think we reading it, we, we have that idea. We can understand, but I'd love to hear him say, hey, that, that was talking about me. And it had a great effect upon these two disciples because when Jesus left, it says this in verse 32. They said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? You see, that's the effect upon a life that dwells with and communicates with God. It's a heart set ablaze. And, you know, that, that really is the true meaning of Emmanuel, God with us. It's when our, our hearts are affected, our hearts are set ablaze, our hearts receive life because we're, we are knowing and coming to know Emmanuel. I'll leave you with one last thought concerning God being with us uh, because the, the scriptures tell us something specifically took place when Jesus dwelt among us. And this could be seen in, in the first chapter of John, John chapter 1 and verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus, you know, became our Emmanuel as the Word became flesh. And that this can really speak to us of how we can come to truly know Emmanuel is through his word becoming flesh in us. His word becoming life, or, or I think the, the, the real picture is his word being written upon the fleshly tables of our hearts. As we obey him, as we follow him, we walk in that same pathway of peace. We take up our cross and follow him. His word will become joined to us. It, it becomes a part of us. And when we do that, we will also have a legacy. Right? Because in reality, our purpose is, is to teach others what it means to know Emmanuel. God is with us. But in reality, how can you really teach someone and show someone what Emmanuel means? It's only as they see and we demonstrate, oh, God is with them. They're walking in that way. They live their message. The word is made flesh among them. I can see God. He's with us.
And so the message of Christmas, one of the messages that we've, among many that we've looked at, is that he is inviting us to come to know the one who is our Prince of Peace. Because he is peace. And he's broken down that wall of separation between us and heaven, between us and the Father. And we can walk in that peace and his peace can rule in our hearts and we can have a legacy of imparting peace into others, into the lives, into the situations of others. Because he's the one, because he's with us too. He's Emmanuel. And he will set our hearts ablaze as we take up our cross and follow him. And then God will be with us. And Father, we just thank you for giving your son to us as that wonderful sacrifice, as that wonderful gift. And Jesus, we thank you for walking and, and going to the cross for us and being the Prince of Peace for us, that you would give us peace. We thank you for being Emmanuel, God, who was with us. You were with us, Lord, as you walked in life and you suffered for us. And we thank you that we can know a God who identifies with our suffering and weakness and that you're with us now, Lord, as we walk in this journey. Lord, thank you that even though there's tribulation in this world, Lord, you promised you would give us that peace and that it would be our portion and our guide, oh God, and that you would lead us in the way of life. Oh God, we just give ourselves to you. Lord, help us to walk in that way that we could have this legacy of peace, this legacy of knowing you as our Emmanuel, and people would see that in our lives, we ask. We just thank you. We bless you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.